The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q&A, there may be extended periods of silence. So here's the big idea. Um, Certainly we have to train and equip leaders for the church, for the church. Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about how can we better serve elders and deacons? How can we train community group leaders? Uh, You're thinking about that, that matters, that's biblical, and that's good. But I also think that there's this dynamic that's missing in our churches often where we're not thinking about training and equipping leaders from the church, from the church. And, And the way that I look at scripture, like the point of eldership, the point of leaders in the church, it's not just shepherding so that we can be this internally focused movement. It's training and equipping, Ephesians 4, right? It's training and equipping, building up the saints so that they can actually be launched out into their callings for the glory of God. And so I think we're actually falling short as leaders if we're only thinking about leaders in the church and for the church, but we're not influencing and developing leaders from the church. Are, are you guys tracking with that? Like, like I, I think about the Reformation, and, and I love the fact that God restored healthy soteriology. Like, amen to that. Praise the Lord. Grace. But here's the other side of the Reformation that gets forgotten. Um, the other part of the Reformation that was so beautiful was a recapturing of vocation. Right? Like the priesthood of the believer, man, that there's not two classes of Christians. There's not the people that are called, that are the varsity Christians, that get to stand in the pulpit and carry out an office in the church, and then the peons that come and hear the really gifted, smart people that Jesus really loves. But actually, we're called to be this, this priesthood of believers where everyone is called to ministry, and whatever it is that they're doing for a living is actually about worship, the service of fellow man, and the glory of God. Uh, so let me, let me give you a quick story. In our church, we talk a lot about pushing back darkness, pushing back darkness. And for us, that means two things. That's gospel proclamation. It's the light of the gospel being shared mouth to ear, right? It's something that has to be told. You can't demonstrate it. You got to tell people about it. But then we also talk about pushing back darkness in terms of kingdom demonstration, right? Like that's a demonstration of the love of God, the justice of God the shalom that Jesus is ultimately going to restore to this world, right? And so what we want to do as a church is we want to be the kind of people that are actually integrated in this view of pushing back darkness in which we're to tell people about Jesus, but we're also to demonstrate the love of God in Jesus in the way that we engage our cities, So we've been banging this drum, right? And you keep saying the same things and you're wondering if anybody gets it and half the time they don't get it. Uh, We have this guy in our church who is, he is a major influencer in our city. Uh, The dude is off the charts, entrepreneurial. He's done tons of businesses. He's been really involved in urban renewal in Oklahoma City. Uh, Basically, like there's a whole neighborhood that this guy pretty much started from scratch. And he started coming to our church full on pagan hated the church, and he would come in halfway through a sermon and leave before it was over. Like, like this dude did this for six months. Uh, he's in his 50s. He's gruff. He's grumpy. He had just gone through a divorce. And, and all of a sudden, a couple of guys on our team started loving this guy and serving him. He got plugged into one of our community groups. And over the last year, like this dude has been born again. He's following Jesus, and he's wrestling with what does it mean to take these gifts that God's given me and, and not think that the end game of being a committed Christian is to be an elder or a deacon because that's not his gig. Like, fellas, this is not the guy you want to lead a kid's ministry, right? This is not the guy that I want to be an inside dog. And he's been wrestling with what does it look like to follow Jesus as an outside dog, 
right? What does it look like to lead my businesses in a way that glorifies God? So he, a couple weeks ago, he came up to us and he said this. Uh, he goes, man, I, I don't know if this is pushing back darkness and I want to be open for correction and for rebuke and adjustment. So, so you tell me if this is pushing back darkness. I just found a grocery store. It's in a really bad neighborhood. It's ghetto. It's run down. It's overpriced. They're fleecing the neighborhood. And so I bought that grocery store and I've lowered all the prices for the neighbors I'm making sure that food stamps are available for people that don't have money. And then I'm hiring refugees from Burma and I'm paying them a living wage so that they can make a living and serve the neighborhood. I was like, yeah, dude, I think that counts, right? <laughs> like, like, yeah, that is pushing back darkness. And so that's what I mean, man. I'm not talking about that weird deal where you start catering to the rich Right? I'm not talking about selling out your soul. I'm not talking about treating the influential people in your church as better than the people that are not influential. What I'm talking about is this. I'm talking about stewarding the resources in the congregation that you lead for impact for the glory of God. I'm talking about seeing people in light of their calling so that their gifts and their strengths and their talents can actually all get pushed into the middle for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel. You have people in your churches that are not called to lead inside your church. And if all we do with our leadership development is just think about those elders and those deacons or those community group leaders or the kids workers or the nursery, if you're not also thinking about how do I actually build a relational context, right? Like, like write these two words down, leadership development. It's content and it's context. So it's content, doctrine, skills, truth. But it's context, relationship, interpersonal interaction, confessing sin. If you're only building context and content for those that are called to lead inside of your church, and you're not also coming alongside those that are called to influence in the arts, in education, in business, in the political world, in medicine, then I actually think that you're just not tapping, you're not tapping what God has brought into those pews for his glory in a way that you should. And so here's a few thoughts. Um, by the way, like we're assuming massive amounts of theology in this, and I just want you to give me grace. Like I'm assuming that you've got a grid for the doctrines of vocation. I'm, I'm assuming that you get that. If that's new to you, I would plead with you to wrestle with what Luther wrote about vocation. I would plead with you to do that, man. Like you've got to recapture what that means. Um, all of us have sort of to one degree or another, been influenced by a church system today that has this massive divorce between the sacred and the secular, correct? correct? And when I read Colossians, what I see is Jesus is Lord of everything, right? Uh, you get 168 hours in your week. Jesus doesn't just want your hour and a half on Sundays, right? And so I'm, I'm assuming that you're wrestling with that, that you're thinking that through, that you're thinking about priesthood of the believer. So with that assumption, and maybe I shouldn't make that assumption, but this can't be an hour-long lecture on vocation, let me make a few statements. Uh, I'll give you a few barriers to influencing those influencers so that they can actually use their gifts. I'll give you a few barriers, some practical suggestions, and then I'll lead you into some discussion. We'll do some Q&A and maybe break up in some groups. Uh, here's a few barriers. There's probably tons more. I'll give you three. The first is that sacred-secular divide exists inside your heart and mind. Right? There's still this tendency to communicate from the pulpit about those that are called to ministry versus those that are not called to ministry as if working as a barista is not a calling from God to glorify him and to be on mission and to provide for the needs of our family. And so our language starts to get influenced by less than biblical perspectives on work and on marriage and family. 
So that sacred secular divide, it's in you, it's in me. And what we've got to do is dig into the word of God so that we can start tearing down that divide and see all of life, right? Like that's the beauty of the gospel, right? It's not Gnosticism. It's that Jesus took on flesh. He came to this world. He's going to ultimately redeem creation. He's going to do a new heavens and a new earth. So, So the beauty of Jesus is not just that we get to go to heaven. It's also that we get to walk with him in time and space, right? The sacred and secular worldview that many of us have and the people in your pews, that sucker's got to get blown up if we're going to really do what we need to do missionally. All right, second barrier. This is a big one, man. It's just insecurity. Right? Like, like um, I did a cohort group with a couple of guys in our church. Uh, two of them are guys in their mid-30s that from scratch planted an oil and natural gas business, and they're just geniuses, right? Um, they make more money individually than our church brings in, total, our total budget. And then there was a dude that's a real estate guy, and this guy's like blinged out, like he coaches real estate agents, and he wears like Versace shirts, like very complicated shirts. He, he's got all of his jeans have embroidery on the pockets. There's like, his jeans are bedazzled. Um, and the guy like, he drives like a fat caddy. I'm like, these are not the dudes I would ever hang out with. And, and there's this insecurity in me, like, do I even have anything to offer guys like that? Like, can I relate to these fellas? Can I even talk to them? And the truth is, as we started digging in and started really shepherding their hearts and talking about lives of generosity and caring for the poor and maximizing the impact of the church's mission through neighborhood engagement, like these guys started getting it. So there's an insecurity that drives us a lot of times. We start to think, man, can I even talk to people like that? Um, There's a senator in our church and like we sat down for coffee and I'm just telling you, I was terrified to talk to this guy. It didn't freak me out to talk to you guys because there's such a similar context. You're pastors and I'm a pastor and we get the same things and we read the same things. What the heck do I have to say to a state senator? But the reality is this. God's called me into his life as a shepherd to not try to pull him out of his vocation, but to try to encourage him and strengthen him and give him a gospel framework so that the grace of God captures him in a deeper and deeper way. So insecurity, man, it makes us, like, let me put it like this. Um, playing it small is not humility. It's just not. It's the other side of pride. It's insecurity. And so when you don't step into those relational opportunities that the Lord's given you, you're actually, you're actually denying the calling of God and you're not trusting that Jesus is enough and that the Spirit of God lives inside of you and you've been given the Word of God that you might help strengthen, confirm, and establish people in the faith. So that insecurity, man, when you feel it, we've got to lean into it. We've got to go there. I'll give you a third barrier. There's just this reaction to corruption that makes us want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, like the shady pastor that hangs out with all the rich guys in his church so that he can ask for favors. Like, I just, I hate that guy. Right? That's sinful, but I hate that guy because I've seen him throughout my entire life. The guy that's always asking for favors, always staying at somebody's lake house, always fleecing the people of God for money. Uh, the poor walk in, he ignores them, and he plays favoritism towards the wealthy. Like Anybody else read the book of James lately? That is vomitous to the Lord. And I think we see that, and sometimes in reaction to that, we build this weird false dichotomy where we're sort of going to do this, this reverse this reverse segregation towards the influencers and towards the wealthy and towards the leaders in our church. And I'm just saying, like, that's not the healthy response to the abuses, right? Um, It doesn't matter which side of the road that you wreck in and die if you wreck and die, correct? 
So let, let's not show favoritism, but let's also not be afraid to engage people that actually have been given resources that they should be using for the good of others and the glory of God. Amen? A um, couple other things. When developing leaders for the church, for the church, elders, deacons, community group leaders, here's the grid I think most of us are using. You can call it something different, uh, but I think for most of us, here's how we're thinking. Three things. You're thinking about intentionality. So you got a plan, Correct. You're thinking through what kind of content do I need to help them get? Um, what sort of systematic theology, biblical theology, um, understanding eldership. Here's the books they need to read. Here's the character work we need to do. Like you have an intentional plan. Uh, secondly, it's relational. It's relational. I hope, I hope you're not just thinking that giving information to leaders is going to develop godly elders because it's just not. It's just not. It's got to be integrated. There's got to be time together and prayer together and worship together. You've got to confess sin one to another. Uh, you actually have to have them see how you love your family and how you serve your kids and how you do your budget. So it's, it's intentional. It's relational. And thirdly, I hope it's forward-looking. I hope what you're doing is you're developing elders in your church and walking alongside young men. I hope what you're doing is saying, who do you think God's called you to be when you're 50? And let's start working towards that through a life of repentance and prayer and seeking the Lord and digging into the word and dealing with character. Are, are you guys tracking with this? And so it's intentional, man. It's intentional. It's relational. It's forward-looking. But then it comes to the, the influences in our church that aren't going to lead an office in the church. And it's not intentional. We don't have a plan. We haven't thought about it. We're not resourcing them. It's not relational because we're spending all of our time with people that are called to lead in the church instead of people that are called to lead from the church, right? Anybody else? And, and it's not forward-looking. We don't know how to help them get a grid for what might be as they actually use their gifts for the glory of God. And what vision is, is it's helping people get a glimpse of what's possible in light of the grace of God and the talents that he's put inside your hands, so my challenge is, the way that you're thinking about elder development, the way that you're thinking about raising up deacons, the way that you're thinking about community group development, I'm just saying, think about that for the influencers in your church. What would it look like if the doctors and nurses and teachers and principals, people called to politics, the entrepreneurs, the, the people in your church that are creating beauty in the city, what would it look like if you were thinking with that grid for those people? What would it look like? What would be possible? And what would start to happen in the life of your church if the people that are not called to eldership stop thinking that the end game of Christianity is that you would become an elder or a deacon? Like, what would it look like if they actually got a vision for their life being all about Jesus, all 168 hours, not just Sundays, and if they're really committed Wednesday night? What would it look like if all their chips were in and they got to use everything they've been given for the glory of God and for the good of others? So let me give you a couple practical things and then I'm going to shut up and you guys are going to talk and we're going to engage each other. Um, a couple practical things. I'll just throw five things out. If any of this is helpful, good. If not, don't use it. First of all, preach into vocation. Preach into vocation. Preach on it often. Right? This is where you're actually going to give people handles for seeing worship is more than just songs on Sundays. This is where you're going to get to talk about what it means to be a missionary if you work at Starbucks or a business or if you're a doctor. This is where you get to talk about the way that God provides so generously and wonderfully through human beings, right? Think about it. Like preach on vocation. Teach on it. Preach on it. Secondly, 
build simple frameworks for leadership development that can be for both in the church and from the church leaders. Build simple frameworks, simple frameworks that can apply to both elders and deacons and people that are training in that direction and people that are called to lead in the city. Uh, let me give you a quick example of this. I'm doing a, my main leadership focus this year is going to be a cohort. I'm calling it Young Lions. It's going to be for men that are like 18 to 45. It's going to be a year long. It's going to be super intense. And my ratio is I want one person called to the church as an elder or deacon someday and one person called from the church in this cohort. Because so much of it's the same, right? Like, we all need to have a foundation in the gospel. We all need to love the Bible. We all need to get a grid for our gifts. We all need to be confessing sin and growing in character. And so this is going to be, this is going to be a year-long deal. We've, we've tried this a couple times, and it's been fantastic of having both people that are called to lead inside and people that are called to lead outside working together. So think through what are some simple frameworks that you could build where you can actually develop leaders for the church and from the church at the same time. Thirdly, Think through, think through some possible leadership ratio goals. And here's what I mean. Um, for every elder you're thinking about developing, how many people in the marketplace are you thinking about developing? For every deacon that you're thinking about developing, how many people in the marketplace are you thinking about developing? Um, and guys, like, let's be crazy Crazy with godly ambition to have tons of amazing elders, both for your church and to be sent out to plant other churches. Let's do that. Let's raise up a ton of elders. But can we just admit the majority of people in your church that have leadership, gifting, and love Jesus are not called to the office of elder. So what's your ratio, man? Like, how do you want to start thinking through for the church and from the church so that's actually reflective of a theology of vocation? And then fourthly, this is really important you got to start telling stories of cultural engagement. Um, usually for pastors, most of our stories relate to staff members, team members, something that happened on Sunday morning. And we've got to start shifting that where we're talking about people who are influencing and leading in the community and how they're actually sharing the gospel. They're pushing back darkness in word and in deed, in truth and in love. Um, for us, about a month ago, there's this young lady in our church. She's an amazing, just urban developer. She's come into a neighborhood that's been really run down. She served it. She's brilliant. She's creative. Um, she invented this thing in Oklahoma City. She started it in Oklahoma City, uh, the, the parklet thing. I don't know if that's in your city. And basically, it's like you take a part of the street, and you set up an outdoor park in a parking space. And it's just this great way to foster community for people to get to know each other. Uh, we jumped in on it. We got to share the gospel with people out in downtown Oklahoma City. And as we were talking about that, like the, the danger that I found is I wanted to talk about our leaders in the church, our staff members that pulled off a great parklet and shared the gospel. And I almost forgot, it's not an elder or a deacon that came up with this idea for the city. It's just an amazing member of our church who's a brilliant entrepreneur and artist. Right? Tell those stories. Share with people what's happening. And then fifthly, this is really helpful. I think you can actually plug this into your liturgical rhythms as a church in the way that you pray on Sundays. I think that when you take some regular, intentional, focused time, and you have moments where you say, hey, if you're in education, would you stand? 
Would you stand? Because we really value education and we believe that Jesus has actually called you to be a teacher or an administrator. And we think that, we think that actually your job is just as much a calling as my job as a pastor. And it's really beautiful. And so we want to pray for you that you can be faithful to worship Jesus and do a great job and love people and share the gospel. Dude, do you know what happens when you do that? It gives people a vision and it values their vocation. Right? If you're a mom today, we want to celebrate motherhood because that's a calling. Culture may not value it, but moms can change the flipping world, man. If you're a mom, stand up. We want to pray for you because what you're doing is beautiful and it matters. Right? If you're a business leader today, um, business is not just like, like the, the whole script right now in a lot of our churches is that if you're in business, you're just a wicked capitalist. Right? Let's flip that script. Let's be sanctified capitalists in our nation. Stand up. If you're in business, we're going to pray for you, man, that you actually, that God would give you great ideas to gain wealth and that you wouldn't squander that wealth on silly, greedy, internally focused junk and toys, but that you would use that to provide ways that people can get jobs and that you would serve the community and advance the mission of God and help us plant more churches. So bring it into your liturgical rhythm. It values people. It gives them a grid. It, you're, actually, you're actually doing theology when you do that and you're creating an experience where truth can sink from their head down to their heart. Does that make sense? Okay, let's take a few minutes and open this up. Like, what are you guys running into, both wins and challenges, as it relates to training and deploying people from the church? Like, if we could get, and, and don't be overly humble. If you got something that's working, man, will you please share it? Kyle. Dude, that, we, we deal with the exact same thing. So some of the guys that are the most beastly leaders from our church, um, man, those guys, like you can plead with them, pray for them, yell at them, and they're just not going to show up to a flipping community group, right? Um, now, I think that what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, here's, what, here's what's happening in a community group that's non-negotiable. So this is gospel community. It's knowing and being known. There's prayer. There's worship. There's repentance. Uh, there's mission. And so we're, we're kind of holding those things up to those guys and saying, man, if there's a different vehicle for you to walk this out in the context of our church, we're open to that, but these are non-negotiables. So, um, for instance, two of the guys, that, that those two oil and natural gas guys, um, neither one of them are plugged into community groups like I want them to be, but I'm making sure that in our conversations that they're actually building gospel community with other men that they're working with. So they're confessing sin, they're talking, they're sharing, there's openness. Um, is that an ultimate win? Am I like doing backflips? Uh, no, man, I want them in a community group. I think they should be, but I think that we're taking steps towards that because they're tasting it now. Here's how we frame it. Like we say um, in our membership process and with our membership interviews, 
We, we preach the importance of community groups like crazy. Um, 80% of the discipleship of our church and 80% of the mission of our church comes through community groups between Sundays. So it's a huge part of our church. So we preach it and we teach it, um, but we won't take that final step to say that there's not a case or a scenario where you can be a thriving, accountable, known member of our church and um, the only way that that can happen is a community group. So we'll have that conversation. What I'll say is, man, if, if you think you're an exception to this and you have a good reason why season of life or your particular job means that you can't be in one of our structures known as a community group, we'll have that conversation. Most of you, that's a cop-out. You need to be in a community group. Um, but I want to keep room because there are some people that that's just, like my, my senator friend, dude, he just, this time of year, he can't be in a community group. But he needs to be in relationship. He needs to be known. He needs to be accountable. He needs to be on mission. And I think that that's actually happening. It's sometimes what we do is we take our structures and we hold up our structures as the end game. Um, the structures and the systems, guys, th- th- that's not the end game. Those are vehicles to get to the things that we're fighting for. Does that make sense? What were you going to say? Yep. These types of people that they will plug into like a fight club yep. uh, or something like that because it's, it, yeah. And so, so yeah, I mean, we've seen them try to mm-hmm. not like it. And yeah. Like, what about them? Is it them? Is it the group that needs to adjust to them a little bit? Or, yeah. You know? Dude, I think it's all of the above. I mean, in my experience, it's a little bit of all that. It's like part of it is um, they are just a little bit different. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't jump in because we, we celebrate diversity in other areas in our community groups. Uh, but they are a little different. They don't feel like they fit in. Their pace of life is a little different. And they don't feel challenged in most of the groups. So what I'm trying to do is, um, you know, like I'll grab a few of those guys. I can't do all of them in our church, but I'll try to real regularly have like three of those guys that I'm personally meeting with. And what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm trying to model discipleship for them. And then I'm expecting them at the end of that to turn around and do that with other people. Um, so it's not perfect. Like we haven't found any kind of formula that's getting them all engaged and plugged in. Like I want there, another example. There's a guy in our city. He was the former district attorney. Now he started like this leadership Institute and it's like beastly and theologically driven and really good. He's amazing. He loves Jesus. He loves our church. He gives, he serves, but the dude, I 10 years in, I haven't been able to get him to show up at a community group. Makes me kind of want to quit. It makes me kind of want to get angry at him. But the reality is like, what do you do? pray for them. You model it. You love them. You try to embrace flexibility where you can, you know, is it, is it a deal where I want to excommunicate this guy? No, it's like, he's doing the things that I want a Christian to do in our church. So what were you going to say, bud? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, see, I think one way to look at it is I just want to be careful. I'm not saying don't just punt on gospel community for, for influential, difficult people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is actually value them so much 
that you're pursuing them and you're trying to create as much space as possible for them to engage for their sanctification and for the advancement of the mission. Now, be, there, it's like there are rules and there are exceptions. And sometimes we make the rules things that are not biblical rules. Let's make sure that what's driving it are true theological points that we actually can articulate from the word of God instead of just, hey man, here's the model and you're really difficult to lead. And I don't know what to do with you, so you better go. Yes. Yeah, man, I, I think, so if it's a guy that's, if it's a guy that is a potential wolf that's just showing up, but he's not accountable, I'm not going to talk about it. But the guys I'm talking about, that, that's not where they're at. Um, they are known. They are confessing their sin. Um, they are engaging. They're just, not, they're just not engaging in a way that looks like the norm for most of the people in our church. Yeah, I will. Yeah, dude, because I think that, that that's modeling something. Like, if you find anybody that's got all the, the whole picture of what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus, right, then celebrate them. But you know what? I don't have any of those people in our church. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have that in my life. So there's some things in my life that are worthy of pointing to and saying, hey, that's good. That's worth emulating by God's grace. There's a lot of my life that's not. Does that DQ me from you talking about the parts of my life that Jesus has sanctified me in more? No. So I, I think it's kind of like... In some ways, it's like all of us have light, all of us have dark. Um, let, let, let's not be afraid of celebrating what is right and what is on track. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. I see. And I think it's like a lot of times we're used to having to deal with people that you kind of, you got to constantly sort of kick them in the rear to motivate them. It's different with these leaders. And it's like, like you're kind of, the analogy is like, you're almost dealing with the thoroughbred with some of these folks and figuring out like, it's different when you when your leadership challenge is actually pulling somebody back and reining them in. That's actually a really fun challenge, right? There, there's beauty in that. And so I think it's, man, here, here's what it means to follow Jesus. Here's what it looks like. Here's how the gospel informs the affections that make that possible. Um, so it, it's the total picture. It's not getting discouraged. I'll tell you one story on that. My father-in-law, most type A human being I've ever met in my life, uh, was a business guy, was in the radio business, traveled all over the world. Like he would, he would come into a radio station that was broken and fix it and leave. So he's just that guy, man. Like he is aggressive. He's type A. Uh, when I asked for his daughter's hand in marriage, he made me get an appointment and he stuck me in the lobby of his office for two hours to wait. And, and I knew this dude's like love language. So I like, I had like PowerPoint, I'm like, here's my budget. Um, so Here's, here's my point, though. This guy has been a part of our church, helped us start the church. He's been a part of our church for 10 years. 
do you have any idea how frustrated I've been with him that he's an older man in our church that's not discipling men, he's not engaging men, but you know what's happened in the last year? He's finally got it. And the dude is a beast. He's got the best community group in our, our entire Edmond congregation. He's got the best community group. They're about to multiply like a second time. They're caring for each other. They're engaging their neighbors. So I'm just saying, like sometimes when we want it so bad, and if it's not, if they're not doing what we want them to do, but we get so frustrated, I, I just think there needs to be a level of patience. I'm not saying that there's not a time to discipline. I'm not saying don't have hard conversations. I'm actually saying have a lot of hard conversations, but be patient in the midst of it. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's a great question. That's such a good question. Did everybody hear that? Yeah. So I, I think I'll start with this. I'll say um, the biggest issue is our heart. So it starts with it starts with um, really searching our hearts, asking the Spirit to illuminate motivation. What's driving that? What's in you? What's the why behind you wanting to talk to somebody? Um, are you trying to use them? Because like there's been wealthy people in our church that I've told they're not allowed to give because they're trying to manipulate. And by the way, we're not a wealthy church. Our church has been dirt poor. Like churches our size usually have three times the budget of our church. Um, so in the last few years as we've gotten more, there's been times where I've had to say, hey, you know what? You're not allowed to give right now because you're trying to manipulate and control and earn God's love. So you just keep your freaking checkbook. So what's happened though is that the response to that, they know that, I'm not afraid of losing them and I'm not afraid of losing their money. And therefore that's like, it's actually like one of the few relationships they have where they know I'm going to tell them the truth because I don't care if they bounce. Um, so it's a hard issue. And then secondly, um, I just think personally as, as lead pastors in particular, I, I personally think the majority of your time, not all of it, but the majority of your time needs to go into developing leaders. Like, I mean, I know that there's guys who would argue against that. My personal deal is if you're not developing leaders for the mission, you are stunting discipleship in the whole church. And so that, that's my take on that, that answer. It's like, it's more a leadership deal than it is a money deal. Um, the other thing is this. I, I always want to have people in my life. I want to save margin for mature Christians I'm discipling, for baby Christians I'm discipling, because if I'm only hanging out with mature Christians, I, I start to forget what the real questions are. And then I want to have margin in my life for non-Christians. So in my life, if you look at my schedule right now, I want to make sure I got mature Christians I'm kicking it with, um, baby Christians, and non-Christians. Because that helps my preaching. That helps my leadership. That, and so I, I think you also have to apply that with the poor. Like our church, we, every single Thursday for the last six years, every single Thursday for six years, we preach every single week and run the entire service at the rescue mission in our city. That's just what we do. And we, we, we treat those folks with dignity and honor. They're not a ministry of our church. They're our church. Um, we pick them up every Sunday and bring them in and give them seats of honor in our church, man. Like, we honor them. Um, there's a crazy dude that's a full-on paranoid schizophrenic drunk guy that roams around. It's like he comes down about every other Sunday down the middle aisle 
And I have yet to kick that guy out because I love him. He, he shows up, walks down to the front, makes anybody that's suburban visiting our church that day feel super nervous. I'm like, hey, Tommy, what's up? And it's just part of the life of our church. So I, I think that that's sort of the balance. Um, if you knew the totality of our church, you would know that actually what we've done for years is we've probably given in an unhealthy way deference to the poor and sort of neglected those that are not. And now I think what's happening is a better integration in the life of our church. Yes, sir. I, I wouldn't do that. I think that's a dangerous, slippery slope. And I think it'll, no matter how you do it, it'll just feel off. What I would do if I was you is I would actually look at, I would look at all these young people starting out. I mean, is your church fairly young? What I would do is I would say, okay, these are going to be the, the influencers in 20 years. So you actually get, you get it on the ground floor to disciple and develop and deploy people. Um, who's called the education in your church? And what are you going to do to help them get a vision for their future? Who's called in your church to entrepreneurial engagement? How do you get them a vision for their future? Who's called into politics? How do you help them get a vision for their future? So actually, you're, you're in the front end of that, and it's really sweet and beautiful. So steward them in such a way. Like, here's how we should all look at it, in my opinion. See your church as a launch pad. It's a launch pad, man. Like, what could you do over the next 10 years so that whatever field they go into, wherever they get sent in the world, They've actually been sent into it with a grasp of the gospel. They're captured by the glory of God and they want to live their life for his glory. Yes, sir. We do a lot of, we do a lot of cohort model stuff. But what I'm also finding is just if you'll resource some of these folks, these men and women, um, like for instance, uh, Keller's book, uh, Every Great Endeavor, or Every Good Endeavor, which is it? Every Good Endeavor. Every good endeavor so good. Uh, we're just passing that book out to business people like mad. Like if you got a question about your job or if I even hear you say that your job sucks, I'm like, here you go, dog. And, and then what we're asking them to do is turn around and, and teach what you're learning. So a lot of it's organic. A lot of it's saying, you know, the culture of our church is not that we have a few elite people that, could do, that get to do ministry, but that if you're a Christian, you're a minister. And so a lot of it happens just by saying, here's some resources, turn and give it, grab a couple people at work, take them through this, talk about it, open up your heart. So a lot of it's that. Yeah. Yeah. I just think honest conversation. Like, up front, if, if somebody shows up, our, our church in our city is known as a safe place if you're really banged up that you can take time. So we have, I can't even tell you how many people that we have that have DQ'd themselves in ministry or they've just been burned out and walked away and they, they're not disqualified, but they're just exhausted. And we tend to be a place where those guys land for a while and they just know that we're going to love them and we're going to serve them and we're not going to use them. So honest conversations up front. This is where you're at in stage of life. This is where you're at in recovery. This is where your family's at. 
And, and then protecting them. Like we'll tell people often, hey, you're overcommitting. And remember, you actually have been given an assignment in your job in the world, and we don't want you to spend all of your time pouring into a ministry within the church. We want you to keep doing that well. So to me, it's just, a lot of it's just honest conversation, man. Um, like the, the senator I was talking about, he's, his, his last church, um, he just kind of did everything. I'm like, you're not allowed to do that here. What you're doing, what you're doing for our state actually counts. And so you need to be in community here. You need to be accountable here. You need to be known here. But I actually want you to be put, I want you to put your energy into your vocation, right? Because that's where you're going to get to share the gospel and love people and influence culture. Um, So it's kind of like that. Yes, sir. No. Bingo. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And, and, oh, dude, no. 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 And, you know, my cynicism, when those guys show up, I'm probably a jerk, and that's not good either. So, you know, what I want, what I want is I want them in the marketplace, man. I want salt and light, guys. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about salt and light. We're talking about mixing in culture with the truth of Jesus on our lips and the love of God in our hearts. And we're talking about helping our people figure out what does it look like to really live out the ramifications of the gospel in real life. Yeah, not getting weird, not ichthus on your car so that you can fleece people when you do their plumbing. Yes, sir. What types of things have you considered changing maybe in community groups to cater? Because those type A people in community groups are messy, right? Yeah. No, because our community group model is so, it's so diverse. So our, in our community group model, it's going to include a few things. Um, our community groups, we don't define community group by uh, our community group meets on Tuesdays. A community group is a group of people that are together under Jesus, because of Jesus, for Jesus, and with Jesus in the power of the Spirit, right? And learning to obey Jesus by opening their Bibles. So in our community group structure, um, they're getting together about once a month and they're doing a big blowout party and they're loving on neighbors and they're feasting. They're getting together about once a week in groups of two to three, same gender to confess sin. Um, they're every now and then getting together to talk about the scriptures and, and talk about what we're doing on Sundays. So it's pretty diverse. And, and don't be, don't, I know you're not doing this, but don't automatically assume that none of these people will get involved with that. If they're not involved with it, we're going to meet them where they are and process that. But man, like that one guy I mentioned that, that bought that business, he's one of the most committed community group members in our whole church. Now he's awkward, and I don't know if he really likes it, but he's there and he's helping. So a lot of it, a lot of it, don't, don't build some weird secondary structure in your church um, to cater, but meet people where they are relationally and lead them to where they need to be. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Beautiful. When Jacob speaks, I listen.
Yeah, that's right. And, and let me just say this real fast. Have you guys found that some of the older, particularly I'm talking to, I think most of us are, are younger in this room. Um, have you found that with a lot of older men that you're leading in the church, you're trying to figure out how do I appeal to them as fathers, and they don't really want to receive you often. And so in a lot of ways that you, you have to be a little bit, not immoral, but sneaky in the way you pastor them right? Like you just have to be wise, man. You got to be as innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. And sometimes you have to pastor them in prayer. What's well, like that with some of these type leaders? Yes, sir. No, it's not that because one of, our, one of our huge values as a church is going to the relational tension. So if a guy is leading, um, you know, we've got, a, we've got a guy, a businessman that's helping us with our Edmund plant and he leads our connect table. He is particular and difficult. And you know what? Him serving in that ministry is part of discipleship because we get to have hard conversations often. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I think a lot of it would be sitting them down and saying, here's some things that you need to have in place in your life for you to really meet with Jesus and be changed, including confession and community and scripture study and mission. And then maybe ask them, how could we as a church come alongside you? Um, you know, so, sometimes we think that we have to have the answer, and sometimes what, what actually produces better results is. You know your context. You know your situation. Here's actually what we're aiming for, for Christian maturity. And so how can we actually meet you and help you and serve you? What do you think you need? Uh, we got a few traveling musicians, and we've had to kind of have that conversation. How do we walk with you? What does that look like when you're on the road? And let them help craft that and figure that out. Yes, sir. Uh, Veith's book is really good. What's, anybody know the name of that? It's, it's Kenneth Veith, I believe. Veith. Um, I tell you what, let me get, I've got a list of them. Anybody that wants to email me, I'll shoot you a list of books. Jay Curry at frontlinechurch.tv. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's Kenneth Veith. That, I thought that book was pretty darn good. There's a few books that have got some, some wacky things. My buddy Kevin says that books are, uh, like chicken wings. You eat the meat and spit the, spit the bones. Um, so I just read a book on vocation by a guy that was kind of, some of it was self-helpy, pop psychology junk, and some of it was fantastic. Um, but if you, anybody that wants a list of books, if you email me, I will send you a list. There's one, it's like uh, your unique design, and the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, I hate this language, I hate everything he's saying. And then I did the exercises, and it was super helpful, and I'm using it for business people. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, Jay. K-O-U-R-I at frontlinechurch.tv because we couldn't get .com. Yes, sir.
Dude, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I wish I would have known you were in here. I would have had you come up here and do this. <laughs> this is where I shut up and you get to talk. Um, let, let me leave you with a picture and then we can sort of pray and, and get you guys out of here. Um, think about it like this. Something really beautiful happens that could lead to revival, renewal, and renaissance when leaders for the church and leaders from the church as people together in the covenant community of God actually relate. So just think about this one picture and dig into it. Maybe if, if you want to process this more, Ezra and Nehemiah. Like what a beautiful picture of what we're talking about. Here's this guy who's, he's a, he's a marketplace leader. He's a politician. He's a cupbearer to the king. Like, I mean, that's just a weird high level cabinet position job. And the Lord just breaks his heart for the city of God. Uh, and, and then you have Ezra who's, um, man, he's sort of in the midst of the covenant community and he gets it more and he's more involved. And between the two of those guys, God does this beautiful Renaissance restoration movement for Jerusalem. That, that's what we're talking about. We're aiming for that to be a covenant people that really are empowering those that are called to lead in the church, to be trainers and equippers of those that are called to lead from the church. Right? Amen? Cool, man. You guys are awesome. Appreciate y'all. Um, Think this through this week, man, if, if you would. If, you, if this is where you're at and you need to do this, think this through this week. Who are just a few people in your church that down the road you need to equip to get where they need to be or are already in a situation you need to equip? And then take that intentional, relational, and forward-looking idea and don't come up with some deal that's going to wear you out. Come up with a real simple plan to just, just do, like a, do like a beta group with those guys, man. Just throw them in a little group and kick it with them, and that may be six in the morning, once a month for a little while, try something, try something, and then let them speak into it. What, what was good for you? What wasn't good for you? What could we do better? And then ask them to help you with this. Amen? Cool, man. God bless you guys. Safe travels.